Hello and welcome to the Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine MedEd Transformation Podcast. I am Deb Young, Director of Faculty Development, and I'm so excited to have someone here with us today that I had the pleasure of learning from. We have the author of Coaching Hacks, Jonathan Wrights, with us today. Um, he had taught a coaching session that um, I was led through a, a really transformational process on my coaching journey, and I wanted to bring him here today because he is a wealth of knowledge um, for those that are coaches or wanting to become coaches, or even our faculty who we have coaching roles. So, Jonathan, thank you for being here with us. And I want to give you a little opportunity to share your journey of coaching with us, and then we'll get started. And I really appreciate that, Deb. And thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to join you on the podcast to talk about some of this. You know, I would love to tell you that coaching was the plan all along. And that uh, when I was in college or, or shortly thereafter, I realized that coaching was what I, what I really wanted to do with, with my life. It's not the case at all. In fact, coaching is, is you know, it almost feels accidental that I got into the coaching world. But as I look back on it, the pieces definitely fit together really smoothly. My first career was in television. I was a news anchor and a radio host and things along those lines and, and thought I would work in media for my entire career until the chain of TV stations I was working for brought a bunch of us into a chain-wide project and took us to this three-day off-site meeting in a, in a downtown hotel in one of the cities where the uh, conversation, where, where the chain had stations. And they brought in this guy to work with us. And in the first 30 minutes of the first session on the first day of this offsite, he whipped us into a team just by asking questions. And I, I, I noticed that and I thought to myself, how did he do that? How did this just happen? And 15 minutes later, after he had continued to not only organize us into team, into a team, but actually held us, helped us make progress this group of 30 or 40 people that we, we barely knew each other. I leaned over to Mary Margaret Downey, who I just, uh, just in the last few months, I've told this story to her on Facebook. And she said, yeah, I, I, I actually remember that. I, I remember that moment. I leaned over to her and I said, I don't know what that guy's doing, but whatever that is, that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my career. And I went up to him at the break. It turned out his name was Steve Martin. You know, not that Steve Martin. But his name was Steve Martin and said, Steve, you know, what is it? What is this that you're doing? And he said, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm part of a new field called executive coaching. This was in the late 1990s when this happened. And uh, we're working with executives and teams and leaders to make the most of their potential. And I went, huh, I've never heard of this. How, how, do, I, how do I learn to do this? He said, well, I'll help you. And that, that was how it started for me was, was I reached out and said to somebody that I saw doing this, Hey, what guidance would you give me? And we ended up talking regularly for a number of years after the fact, after that fact, and that led onto the journey of coaching inside of the chain of TV stations, then eventually coaching for a large not-for-profit, a large national not-for-profit organization. And then in 2007, starting a coaching and training practice 
that centers on replicating, reproducing coaches in a number of different environments and venues, including at, uh, at, the, at the business school level, which is how you and I have crossed paths through continuing education uh, for professional development. Yes, exactly. And I love that you said that it was by accident. Um, I think those of us that are faculty are finding ourselves in these coaching roles accidentally. You know, we go into faculty, um, you know, as as this broad uh, umbrella of what our role looks like, but more and more it's coaching, Um, more on the one-on-one level. Um, You talked about it being in a group setting, but more on a one-on-one level. Um, Tell me about uh, what, how coaching is really different from the historic um, mentor type roles. Well, let's start with how it's how it's similar first. Okay. Uh, first of all, mentoring and coaching both are focused on the person being coached or mentored. Uh, the, the goal there, the, the measure for success in those situations is that that person walks away better equipped to cha- take on a challenge that is looming for them. The method is very, very different. The mentor is driven by the fact that they have experience or training or skills or something to offer that they want to replicate in the other person. So if I, I, I do actually do some mentoring, but full, full disclosure, that is because, or that is in a situation where I have a skill that I would like to replicate in the other person. Now, that really comes to life in a, in a meaningful way because then I switch to coaching, which is about unlocking or releasing what's going on for that person in a way that's unique to them. So very often, very often, mentoring will lay a foundation that ensures that the person has the core requirements, the core training, the core uh, foundation to really make a difference. But then coaching kicks in so that that person is able to figure out how to deliver those things in a way that only they could deliver. And I think about this in the, uh, in the, um, in lots of different leadership development circumstances where the strategy, the options that are available to that particular individual, just, you know, there, there aren't that many in all likelihood. But what gets unique and compelling, and and I would suggest even very interesting in a lot of ways, is that what I decide to do strategically in a situation might be just a little bit different than what you decide to do strategically in a situation, which might be just a little bit different than what uh, uh, Dave Johnson decides to do in, in a particular situation, all armed with the same foundational knowledge that often a mentor can, can, can teach them. But the context, the situation, and the unique wiring of the individual might point out a different path forward. So they're, they're different, but they're also interrelated because they, ha- they have slightly different methods that complement each other, but are aimed toward the same goal, which is developing the other person. I think faculty will be happy to hear that because, you know, we have a hard time separating mentoring of, you know, developing a skill that we have in our learners and our residents and our students 
Um, but you, you say something in your book and you said it in the, in the course that I took with you that you can't coach what the coach. He doesn't say, right. but with mentoring, we were, we're mentoring them in, in something that they don't say, like we recognize that they need to develop this skill. And so we're going to mentor them in developing this skill. Talk a little bit more about that, that statement in coaching. Fundamentally coaching begins with coach and client coach and coachee determining exactly what the client wants to accomplish. So when I'm in coach mode, I don't have any input into where the conversation is going to go, at least big picture, you know, broad orientation. I am not in charge of what the client takes away from the conversation. And that is uncomfortable. Let's just, let's just name that. That is uncomfortable. But there are many, many leadership situations, many, many leadership situations where the reality is that the other person knows the way forward better than the, the quote unquote expert does. And learning to trust that, I think, is a tremendous challenge. Now, I studied electrical engineering in college. That was my undergraduate. Uh, obviously, I didn't do that. I ended up working in, in journalism. Uh, again, that's a business where the journalist doesn't decide what the story is. The journalist goes out and discovers what's happening in the particular story, in the particular situation, and follows where the story takes them. I think that was actually pretty good training for coaching because when you're in the coach mode, your client tells you where the conversation is going to go. It is up to them to clearly speak to you about, hey, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. And then you listen to what they're saying, not so that you understand, but so that the other person actually understands their own situation better, which is an interesting little wrinkle. And it's tied to the idea that you can't coach what your client won't say. Because the bottom line is that when I show up in a conversation, the goal is not that I understand the situation as well as my client. The goal is that my client understands what's happening for them better than they did at the beginning of the conversation. And truthfully, it doesn't really matter if I know. It does make a giant amount of difference. Now, here's the, here's the crazy thing about that is there's a definite shift in your questioning strategies when you move from mentor role to coach mode, because your goal in mentor role is to confirm with your client, with your questions that they are picking up the things that you are offering them in the coaching conversation. I'm sorry, in the mentoring conversation. The goal in a mentor conversation is to ensure that the client gets what you have to offer them. The goal in a coaching conversation is to make sure that the client gets what they have to offer to the situation. And you're there as the multiplier. You're there as the grease. You're there to not provide the answers, but to work collaboratively with the other person to ensure that there are answers. It's a very different mindset. And so resisting the urge to problem solve, to give advice, to guide the conversation, to ask leading questions, can th those are all giant challenges for people who are committed to the coaching process because all of those things are what coaches use to raise clarity, to deepen understanding, to uh, invite clients to new and better situations, new and better circumstances. Uh, than, than what they walk into uh, themselves. Now, last thing I'll throw out about this is 
is that the presumption of who the expert is, and again, I say quote unquote expert, is, is very different in coaching versus mentoring. In mentoring, it is presumed that the expert is the mentor. In coaching, the precondition is that the expert is the client. So you use that skill to, uh, you use your skill rather, to help them unlock just exactly how much of an expert they actually are in this particular situation. So rather than thinking about in, in, the, um, in a medical practice, rather than thinking about, hey, we've got to teach things that, uh, that may, may or may not have been covered in medical school or may or may not have been covered in other continuing development, continuing education situations, rather the coaching opportunity in this situation is to how do we help this individual use all the knowledge they've acquired to care for that patient or to meet that medical need as clearly as they possibly can based on their own experience without me coming in and saying, Hey, here are 14 other things I think you should think about. Cause you know, all of us can do that in a bunch of different situations, but who actually knows the situation best. It's the person that's living in the circumstances. So they're, they're again, definitely related, but a little bit, uh, dependent on each other and a little bit independent of each other. Yeah, you're, you're so very right because human instinct for in any other situation, I think other than coaching, is that when we're talking with somebody, it's so that we can know and understand what previously happened or know the yeah. details of it. And, and in a coaching relationship, we don't need to know that. Right, right. That's a hard mindset, especially, I mean, heck, I'm a recovering consultant. I, I would rather tell you what I think you should do than draw out of you all the various things that might be options for you and help you make the best possible decision for yourself. I would much rather say, here's what you should do and here's why it's important and let, get back to me when you're done. Okay, but, Jonathan. So the fact yeah. that you just said that, that, that that's where you would rather be, that's the world that you know, that's the way that your mind works. How are you so successful in being a coach and staying in the coaching role? Three things changed my mindset about this. One is I realized that my advice very often is not that helpful. Now, I, 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 uh, um, when I say, hey, you know, here's what you should do. How often when we say that to someone, does the other person actually jump in and do that thing? Not very often. Again, human nature. So, so based on that realization, I, I thought to myself, well, you know what? I'm not going to stop making those observations when they come up completely because that wouldn't be authentic. That wouldn't be true to who I am. But what I am going to do is I'm going to do two things with, with that background, with that history that I've got. First of all, I'm going to use all of my history and training and background in a whole bunch of different environments to ask better questions to, you know, based on if, if I'm talking to somebody about uh, the journalistic process or, or something that I know a lot about, I will use that information, that background to ask as good a questions as I possibly can to that individual. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is I do have background and in history in a few areas. 
from time to time, it's really helpful then to throw something out. But rather than throwing something out as a directive, I throw it out as an offer. So I'll say, let me offer you something. Here's an observation that you might consider. And I, and I try to do it that way. I, I, I resist the urge to say, hey, have you considered? Because that doesn't, not only does that not expand thinking, it is, it's a closed-ended question that causes the person to look backward instead of looking forward at what they might be looking to accomplish. So, so I'll say, hey, hey, here's an idea to consider. And then I go right back into asking questions. So what does that bring to mind for you? Or what suggestion does that uh, bring, bring to mind to you? I, I've found that using my history and background to ask the best questions I can come up with. And then when I do have something to throw out, framing it in the form of an offer where the other person has to decide or gets to decide is probably a better way to say it, gets to decide whether or not my suggestion is helpful uh, or whether or not my suggestion uh, actually is, uh, is meaningful in their situation, in their context. And then thirdly, where the other person gets to decide what to do with that suggestion that's, uh, that, that's critical. That, that, though that three-level lens is really critical. And now disclaimer to all of this. When you are the supervisor working with direct reports, you have to decide on two topics before you use any of these skills. And this, this hopefully will be a helpful lens for you thinking about when to coach, when to mentor, and when to just be the boss, because all three are appropriate. First and foremost, it matters whether the particular challenge that an individual is working on is something they chose themselves or if it's something that you assigned them. It's very difficult to really take on a coaching mentality when you've assigned a particular responsibility. Because in those situations, you'll find yourself realizing that you need to say, you know what? I need you to do this. And here's why this matters. And it doesn't matter if, it, if it's meaningful to you because we need this for compliance or for, you know, there could be high risk situations. That, that's, one of those, uh, that's one of those ongoing situations where, you know, if the person is assigned a task, your coaching options shrink pretty dramatically. If they've chosen the task, on the other hand, you can begin from the place of, you know, what do you want to take away from this? What are you hoping to learn? What are you looking to discover? What situations are useful and meaningful in, uh, in this environment for you that, that might provide skill improvement or things along those lines? So, so that's challenge number one if you're working with your direct reports. Challenge number two is that it also matters if there is a prescribed method to accomplish what you're looking to, accomplish, what you're looking to uh, work on. Like, for example, if there's a compliance issue, if there's a compliance pathway that has to be used to accomplish a particular outcome, that's really not a coachable topic. You, you shouldn't say, well, you know, based on our compliance lens, well, what does it look like that you should do next? No, don't do that. Don't do that. That just, that just causes confusion as opposed to building leadership authority and, and management uh, strength and things along, things along those lines. So when the person is choosing what they want to do next, and when you are not married to how they get the thing done, 
that's kind of the ideal professional environment for when to use coaching skills in a direct report situation as opposed to when not to. I think that's going to be very helpful. Um, I mean, I, I myself just took some, some notes down for, for coaching uh, relationships that, that I'm in right now. Um, but you said something else. You stated that when we um, give advice, sometimes it's not all that helpful. Um, and I, I immediately thought like that coaching for compliance versus coaching for compassion. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Compliance is really about bottom line. And th this comes out of the work of Richard Biotsis and Ellen Van Osten and, and Dr. Melvin Smith, who all are on the faculty at Case Western Reserve University. But this idea of coaching for compliance is all about coaching to get something done, coaching to, uh, to get something accomplished, to check some things off your to-do list, and to stay in the environment where you are able to measure progress meaningfully, importantly, and you're able to say, I see where I'm going, where I might be going south and um, where I might need to adjust my course in order to get the results that I'm after. And there is a very uncomplicated black and white evaluation lens when it comes to coaching for compliance. Progress is good. Lack of progress is not good. Simple as that. Uh, coaching for um, coaching with compassion or coaching for compassion takes a much more holistic view of the change that happens for the person being coached. And, and, and what I mean by that is it takes into account the unique abilities that an individual brings into a coaching situation. It looks at whether or not the evaluation standards are the same for everyone engaged in, in a project. It looks at, based on how a person is naturally put together, will this person have the same likelihood of being effective as the other person? And then factors in things like self-knowledge, um, things like uh, organizational support, things like uh, energy and effort. And co coaching for compassion is a, it's a very powerful mindset to say, you know, hey, what is the vision for your life? You know, where are you today? What do you have to offer to that vision? And what can you do today to move closer to that vision? That's the, that's the core coaching conversation. And in some ways, sort of uh, uh, maybe a way to think about this is that there's also a meta conversation that goes on alongside of the core coaching conversation, which includes a conversation about what are you learning about yourself? You know, what is this doing for your engagement in your satisfaction with life? You know, how is it that you are noticing that you are changing as you move toward the vision that you have in mind? And it really does encounter all of those things in a useful and meaningful way. And I, as I've thought about this more and more over the years, I've realized that I have never once had someone come to me and say, Jonathan, you know, I, I, I for whatever reason, I just feel like I need to grow in self-knowledge. That's not why clients come to me. 
I'm an executive and leadership coach. I typically work with leaders who are starting a new project, who are diving deep into something new. They can see the result, the target in front of them. But the ones that are most satisfied, the ones that end up most engaged, and the ones that end up making the most progress are the ones that when we have that second meta conversation alongside the coaching engagement, they're able to say at the end of the engagement, you know what, I learned this, 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 and this about myself. I've got a much higher level of, of self-appreciation. Therefore, my self-efficacy is considerably higher than it was when we started the conversation. Oh, and by the way, I've accomplished a tremendous amount toward this vision that I was pursuing. So coaching for compassion really is the more holistic option that sets you up to not only get stuff done, but become more of who you're wired to be and pursue a more meaningful vision for your life, for your work, for your situation, and therefore engage more deeply with what's going on around you. And in order to do that, there has to be a want to be a coach. Um, not, not everybody will be wired to be able to, to have those types of connections. And so with that, um, for faculty who, you know, don't have the training or, or whatnot in being a coach, where would you suggest um, them to start to develop and, and foster these coaching skills? I would start with a two-minute self-evaluation. And I would ask you first and foremost, um, what is motivating you to think about these skills as an addition to your toolkit? Because the vast majority of us are motivated either intrinsically, so there's something inside me that wants this, or extrinsically, there's something out around me that I see that I would like to have, and this will help me get it. Um, I think coaches are, are motivated by a third kind of motivation that is not universal. And that is a motivation that says, I would like to help other people develop the gifts, the talents that they've been given as far as they want to go. You know, by extension, I think the, um, there's something to be said for, I'd like to help in relationship, in connection, in conversation, develop those things by for, help other people develop those things. But, but that's not exclusively the, uh, the, the situation. So this, that first step I would suggest would be, you know, Hey, what is it? What is it that is motivating me to want to add these coaching skills? And if you fit in that third camp, coaching skills could be a great addition. Then if, uh, if you do come out there, if you come out in that place where you say, you know what, this, this, is, this is a motivator for me, uh, I, I would suggest there's three developmental opportunities. One is books and online courses. And, and by online courses in this situation, I mean pay-as-you-go, uh, self-paced online courses. There are, there are lots of them. Uh, my, my two favorite books, and I'm just, spoiler alert here, my book is going to be on this list to, uh, to help you get uh, started with coaching. You know, I, I, like Deb mentioned earlier, I'd recommend Coaching Hacks. I think it's a pretty good primer for how to engage those coaching skills with people around you in a, 
quick, easy, and meaningful way. The subtitle to my book is Simple Strategies to Make Every Conversation More Effective. I think we do a pretty good job of living up to that. The other one is the uh, is a book that we've hinted at. It's Richard Biotsis, Ellen Van Osten, and Melvin Smith. And that book is called Helping People Change. It's from uh, Harvard Press. Does a really good job of laying out a it's a slightly different but related approach to what my book is. My book as a practitioner is plain and simple. It's a practitioner book. It's it's born from 20 plus years working with leaders in all kinds uh, of industries in all kinds of shapes, all kinds of spaces. And helping people change starts with a research orientation, uh, specifically around uh, brain science and, and the, the activity of, uh, of, of your parasympathetic nervous system. And then, interestingly enough, arrives at exactly the same place as my practitioner book does. So I think there, those would that, that's a pretty good combination for continuing ed. And the beauty of both of those books is neither one of them is very long. They're both under 200 pages, so they're they're, they would, they're an easy weekend read uh, to uh, to dive into those those skills. Then the third thing I would throw out to you, and this is the the, the simple easy one, is simplest and easiest one is walk into conversations a little bit differently. You know, first of all, walk in saying, hey, can I coach this person? And then if you decide you can, engaging the people around you with questions, engaging with a mindset of helping that other person deepen their understanding rather than you deepen your understanding uh, or, or, or demonstrating your knowledge. The goal being, hey, I want to help this person make discoveries instead of making, um, making opportunities to, uh, to, to, to teach or to problem solve uh, on my end. That's a, it's a slightly different mindset. I guess last I would throw out to you, there's lots of great training organizations out there too. If you, if you decide you want to engage in professional development around coaching skills, either at the university level or at the, um, at the continuing education level, uh, I would nudge you toward considering certification of your coaching skills should you decide to go down the training route, whether it's through the International Coaching Federation or the board certified coach uh, credential or even the European Mentoring and Coaching Council has some great value to add to the ongoing coaching conversation and that external validation in the coaching world, because it, because it is a self-regulated industry, the external coaching credential really does make a difference. A couple of things I'm going to add to that. I carry both of those books with me uh, pretty much on a regular basis. Um, and I reflect on them uh, often before really any of the, the coaching relationships that I'm starting to develop. And I have recently taken my board certified uh, coaching exam, just waiting for the results. So validating uh, some things that you just said there. And, and yes, the, bo the books are short, they're quick reads, and they are a wealth of knowledge. Um, and, and, and here, here's, my, here's my question to you. Is I, I have observed a number of times that I, I think they arrive in very much the same place, uh, from, starting from very different perspectives. And I would be interested to hear your comments on how the practitioner side and the research side fit together by looking at, at those two documents. Sure. So I, I do agree. They, they definitely come uh, kind of to the same end point. 
Um, to me, the, the biggest difference uh, was I needed um, Richard's book for like the, the research side, the, yeah. that analytical processing of why does this work so that I could apply what was in your book of making it work. That, that, that makes a tremendous sense. That makes a tremendous amount of sense. And, and you know, in, in the, well, where you and I know each other from is from the Weatherhead School of Management Coaching Program that Richard co-founded and, I, and I'm an adjunct instructor in, where that's exactly the marriage that comes together in this is the research about, hey, why does this work is one thrust. And then the, the, actually, what are the practical skills I'll learn is a second thrust. Now, that's a critical lesson for someone considering coaching skills. You, you 100% want to know with as much confidence as you can muster. Hey, why is it that this works? And then secondly, there's lots of ways to get at the what actually works. There's lots of strategies for that process. So asking critical questions about, hey, is this a skill set that I'll actually be able to apply in my context? I, I think really makes a difference even after you've nailed down the conceptual research framework that says, here's what the skill set makes possible for you. There's still a number of options for you underneath the surface to say, Okay, in light of that, how am I going to actually bring this to life? So two different pieces to applying coaching skills in a meaningful way. Very true. And, and, and you, you said something else. They're, they're a quick weekend read. So what do we tell that faculty who on Friday had a very different way of um, advising and, and mentoring and working with learners who then reads this book over the weekend and says, it's like mind blown. I'm going to try this new strategy on Monday. The learners are going to be like, what just happened? I, I could be, could be. Now let's make a distinction between knowledge transfer. There are moments when you have to teach. I am not saying don't ever teach. I'm saying there are moments when that is the only option. So when you have knowledge that is critical to the other person, teach it. You know, build up a transfer climate where those kinds of things happen and they happen consistently, reliably, and regularly. But then follow it up with coaching skills. Marry that to coaching skills. And then once you're clear that the other person has got it, adding in a dose of coaching that says, okay, so now what are you going to do with that? How's that going to come to life to you? Uh, when will you know that you should apply this new thing that you've learned? You know, look at context, look at application, look at, at personal implications of, of that knowledge in developing the core skills. Now, one of the things I say pretty consistently, and I differ from the traditional International Coaching Federation credentialed coach, which I, which I am. I differ from that coach in this way. And that is that I would describe someone who has a coaching mindset is someone who is willing to use everything they have available to them to benefit or develop another person. And so if you go down the road, if you go down the road of saying, I have skills that I can use to develop 
the people around me, it's not always going to be one identical strategy. You're, you're going to have multiple tools in your toolkit. And knowing when to do what, in my opinion, that's the critical understanding for someone who wants to be serious about being a talent developer or a professional development leader, because that investment changes from circumstance to circumstance, from situation to situation. And you're able to then say, you know what? I offered everything I had to this individual so that they could be as effective as they possibly could be in working with, uh, in, the, in their context, in their situation. So, so that's, the, that's the mindset shift that I think um, really has to be front and center. And if you do that, if you, if you pick your spots, if you decide to mentor when mentoring is appropriate, if you decide to coach when coaching is appropriate, heck, if you decide to consult when consulting is appropriate, um, the, the, the other person isn't going to notice that you're doing things differently. They're going to say, wow, I really feel equipped. And that's kind of the ultimate uh, outcome, I would suggest. There's one more question that comes to mind um, from a, a faculty or um, like a, a leadership type position that, you know, there's there's this notion that the that the faculty is the know-all, the be-all, the, the one that's right, the director of how patient care is going to happen. Um, but really with, with coaching and, and teaching, there should be this like shared vision and values of, of, of giving our learners um, the tools that they need to then be successful because soon they're not gonna be learners anymore. They're gonna be practicing themselves. How do we separate um, kind of that, you know, I'm in charge to, I'm, I'm here to coach you. Why do you have to separate it? I don't know. So, so that, that's where I would come out. I mean, I, I, I suspect that in a department, in a, in a team, in, in a practice, yeah, there probably are some things that there has to be a person with whom the buck stops to, to, uh, to use Harry Truman, uh, Harry Truman's description. Uh, but at the same time, there are just as many situations where a collaborative approach, where if I come into the conversation thinking, you know what, I'm going to help unlock the talent in this person so that not only do they handle this situation, but they handle every other similar situation in their future more effectively. That, that's a very different reality than the top down. Um, hey, we've got to make this happen. We've got to go down this road and, and, um, um, you know, my way or no way, you know, hit, hit the highway. If you don't, if you don't agree that, that, that's it. And, and I realize I'm being extreme. I, I, I realize, but that top down transfer climate is just another tool in the, uh, um, uh, in the toolkit, a collaborative discovery based transfer climate, which allows for, in my opinion, a lot more personalization and, and contextualization. That can be just as powerful, but you got to know when to do what. So that would be the first thing I would sit down and say is if, if a team or a department or a group is thinking about how they're going to uh, work together, um, ground rules about, hey, when are we going to do what makes make a difference. Now, I'll give an example. I, I have a, 
I have a coaching call in 90 minutes with a medical leader where this is the topic for today is we just got 360 feedback back from a, from an executive coaching conversation. We've been processing through what that had to say and what this ends up looking like. And we, um, uh, we are, she is wrestling hard with what this means for the way her department is set up. And as we, as we got into the coaching conversation last time, two weeks ago, started realizing that, you know, really the decision, the immediate decision that has to be made is when will I do what, and how can I get clear about that so that I'm clearly communicating expectations and providing a consistent experience for the people in my department and, and the people uh, spread throughout the department and the people on my direct report team. So figuring out a lens of when you're going to do what, and then by the way, sticking to it is that's the first step in making this work the, the way I think you're really, you, we, we really want this to is when are you gonna do what? When are you going to do what and walking into conversations differently? I think those, those are, are great uh, starting points um, for faculty who may or may not make this uh, added credentials, but at least a, a tool in their toolkit. Jonathan, thank you so much for being here uh, with me today. Do you have any final closing thoughts that, that you want to share uh, with the faculty? Two things I'll throw out to you. Number one, a really good question, especially one that begins with the word what or the word how, because that invites reflection and deeper thought from the other person, can change the course of a conversation or a team's development dramatically. So look for that really good question. You'll be glad you did. Secondly, there's something amazing that happens when you shift your mindset from listening so that you understand to listening so that the other person understands even more effectively. And both of those are simple, easy skills that you can, they're mindset shifts that you can make, that you can push into that will help you produce different results consistently, regularly, and on an ongoing basis. So I hope that helps. It does. Thank you so much. My pleasure.